Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Hello, this is the Italian Wine Podcast. My name is Monty Wood and my guest today is Ole Utsen. Is Ole Utsen, as I call him. Yeah. Say that again. Ole Utsen. Okay. Ole was born in Greenland, which means he is of Danish nationality. And you've just started a wine company called... Espo og Utsen Wien. So that's uh, presumably a partnership between you and somebody else? Yeah, a guy called Jon Espo, who's been in the wine business uh, working for others for 13 years, and we're now doing this in, in partnership. Um, how long have you been involved in wine? Is this a new thing? So in terms of being involved in wine, I've, I've written about wine for 25 years, uh, particularly Italian wine, and with a special emphasis on, on southern Italian wine. But apart from that, I've never actually dealt commercially in wine, whereas Jon, uh, my, my associate, has been dealing commercially in wine for 13 years. So when you say 25 years uh, following particularly southern Italy, um, you were working in the in the energy business before, I think. Yes, yeah, so I've, I've been an executive in the oil and gas industry for uh, for many years. I started uh, in the business or in the industry for uh, you know about 30 years ago, and uh, and 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 rose through the ranks and 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 reached director level and so on. And when the um, company I worked I worked for most recently uh, uh, were downsizing very significantly there was a package there that uh, that we signed a deal on and I exited and now I'm doing this with great joy so with a great smile on your face it's quite nice isn't it to change career you know I, mean, I don't know how long they'll keep me doing this podcast but every, every podcast I think is gonna be my last one so yeah, yeah, yeah. just take every day to come so southern Italy um, you have also a passion for Frederick II and people say why the hell is Monty asking Ole about Frederick II who was he and why was he so important for southern Italy so Frederick II was not just important for southern Italy but particularly important for southern Italy he was holy Roman Emperor Basically, from well, from a, about 1194 until about 1250, and and he was a, a person with a singular individual impact on the history of Europe. Essentially, gathered together what had been smashed apart of his father's empire, uh, but apart from that, instituted a reign of great enlightenment and 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 uh, and, and and fantastic achievement. I mean, uh, so the zero, for instance, was introduced uh, uh, to Europe by Fibonacci. But it was introduced in common usage by Frederick II. To the zero. The zero, whose administration actually started using it. But apart from that, uh, he was in constant communication with uh, learned people from the Arabic countries and so on. There would quite likely not have been a renaissance without uh, Frederick II. And why? Because he sowed the seeds of all of that. Now, his court was the first court where they wrote in uh, normal Italian rather than Greek or uh, Latin. So he, had an, uh, he had an enormous influence on the so, language. So everyone thinks it was Dante and and, uh, and and the Divine Comedy and so on. Who came about 300 years later? Uh, well, yeah, two, 300 years yeah. later. Those were the guys who started it at Frederick II's court. Uh, he was uh, He was excommunicated by the Catholic Church three times. Uh, taken back in uh, when when he did stuff. He was king of Jerusalem. He was a lover of everything Arabic. His uh, lifeguard was Arabic. He moved the Arabs from Sicily to Puglia, to Lucera, in order to protect them. And, and, and he used them as his lifeguards forever. Uh, he toured the world, basically the, the, the European world, his world, with an entourage uh, of a harem and uh, animals and many, many interesting things. He, he was absolutely larger than life 
but also had a lasting impact on the history of Europe. So he was a man with a social conscience, a sense of justice as well. He was, but in a very strange way, in sort of a, a, a very unemotional way. So he did an experiment, for instance, at one point uh, to find out whether the learned people who were discussing whether Latin or Greek was the original language of God. So he took two children and isolated them and had no one speak to them for years. No one ever spoke to them. And what came out of it was gibberish, of course, and they died fairly soon uh, anyway. I mean, after a few years, because they, they simply, as human beings, could not take the fact that they were not uh, socially engaged. So they couldn't communicate with anybody. Yeah. They could, they could. So what about his, um, in terms of architecture, in terms of um, his design of fortresses, which were very important in those days when there were a lot of marauding bands of uh, soldiers, etc. So, so, so he constructed fortresses along the coasts of, uh, of southern Italy in particular because the Saracens were very, very active at the time. That is more a marked feature of what is left now of, of the Aragonese who came after him, but, but he started that. At the same time, he constructed some very, very interesting... Uh, buildings which were not necessarily fortresses like the, the very mysterious Castel del Monte in, uh, in, uh, in Puglia. He had an impact on architecture, he had an impact on uh, poetry, he had an impact on language, on mathematics, on, uh, on how to govern uh, a country. He had an impact on removing power from the popes uh, and, the, and, and the fact that legitimacy could only come from the popes. He started the, the rebellion against that that was brought so to So local its, rule, basically, rather yeah, than being ruled by a far-off pontiff. That, that, that was brought to its full extent, basically, during the Renaissance and, and in the period after that. So he laid the foundations for that, in your view? Very much so. Did this idea of free thought... He was a free thinker, very much, uh, and mocked, uh, you know, popular faith and so on uh, whenever he could. So he was kind of he was kind of like a, a powerful intellectual. He was kind of we might say a little bit so sort of not trendy, but um, avant-garde, pushing boundaries and rebelling, but in a very logical way, um, in a humanistic way. Very much, very much. Is that he, what makes it? You know, you I, I I get that from you. When I first met you, yeah. you are somebody that engages with everybody. Yeah. You're a fantastic communicator. And I would, uh, you know, as I'm sitting next to you at tasting, you give all your knowledge away about the wines that we were tasting down in southern Italy. And I picked up so much information from you. And for me, you were like a humanist. So I can see why you absolutely love Frederick II. Um, there's a long history of humanism in my in my family. Uh, in the past, part of my family was were the first people or among the first people who were married outside of church in a, in a, in a town hall. The lady was actually a priest's daughter, so it's a huge scandal. And and since then, we've we've essentially been humanists and and uh, and and non-denominational and and so on. Uh, so there's that aspect, and 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 it may make me uh, emphasize, you know, the humanist aspects of Frederick II quite a lot. Do you think uh, we need more humanism in our current societies? All the arguments that are going on about silly things like religion and and all these things that really we should not be arguing. There's bigger bigger fish to fry. Absolutely, uh, humanism is suffering at this point in time, and. And, and uh, my heart bleeds for the current situation, I have to say, in, in, uh, in, 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 in current, uh, not just European, but world affairs. Yeah, and people, people's intolerance towards others because they're different. Intolerance and, 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 and um, a willingness to uh, embrace... See the other side, em, yeah. em, em, the, 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 the willingness to embrace uh, absolutist uh, ideologies, and that goes for all sides, and, and it's, it's a dreadful situation. Yeah, so my, my it's only my view counts and your views don't count. So I'm, exactly, I'm stronger. Exactly. I'm better than you. I'm stronger than you, and I don't want you living on my patch. And, and with current technology, you can rile up people very easily, uh, and 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 you can uh, go make them go to each their poles rather than meet in the middle and so on. So, 
yeah, humanism, I think, is suffering and, and we need a renaissance of uh, humanism. So where does wine fit into your worldview and in terms of the company that you're, you've co-founded and uh, where are you going to be looking to buy your wine from and why? <laughs> that was quite a lot of questions. It was, but you're in, a clever guy. You can, you can decipher my mumbo jumbo. Yeah. So where does wine fit in in terms of good life and, and, and humanism and, 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 and brotherhood among people and so on? It does very much so. I mean, whoever has sat together with a person and, and had a glass of wine with that person and had a decent discussion is better for it. And it moves the world forward. I just came by a shop window today, in fact, which said the Italian equivalent of whoever does not drink wine has something to hide, which is an old Italian saying. But beautiful, I think. Right. And what are your sort of favorite grape varieties in a nutshell and why? Wow. Um, and where are you going to focus on for your import well, company? So the import company is actually quite widely focused. We we want to uh, we want to uh, feature the exciting wines that are being put out today uh, throughout the world, with a huge emphasis on on uh, terroir recognizability. What about uh, native grapes, things like that? So very much native grapes. For me, that's terroir uh, as well, and very much native grapes. Uh, uh, we're not so much into the uh, you know mix it all together to, to make it fit some sort of uh, focus group or anything like that. That's that's not what we're going for. So it, in terms of the Danish market, 80% of the wine is sold in supermarkets and, and, and they can have that for themselves. I mean, that, that's that's not a, an interesting market. But then the rest, the 20% being sold essentially by a, a bewildering variety of very, very many people and companies, uh, large and small and so on. We have 1,700 registered importers of wine in Denmark. Brilliant. And we're a, a, a country of five and a half million people. Wow, that's amazing. So we've got just about everything, except the wines that uh, my my associate Jorn and I are, are looking for. They're not on the market in Denmark at this point in time. And frankly, we find that they are among the most interesting wines on the world scene today. Good. So you're, you're sort of looking at a niche within a niche in a small country. You could say that, yes. And uh, I have every confidence in you, knowing you and how you are. Uh, I think one of the great advantages that you will have, you have many advantages, but you have a fantastic ability to talk to wine producers on their own terms, to get inside their heads in a good way, uh, in a way that they will trust you, and which is so important if you're a wine producer. You don't just want to get paid. You want to work with people that you really trust and who know where you're coming from. And you, you clearly do. Um, and, and, that, and vice versa. Yeah, I have sure, to sure. Sure, sure, yeah. And uh, if all else fails, you can just crack open a bottle of wine and talk about Frederick II. Absolutely. Ole, I just want to say thanks. Uh, we could have talked for hours, and I want yes, to get we you have. back. Yeah, <laughs> no, we want, I, I love history. But I'm not, um, I know that was a bit unusual for people listening, but if you don't know some of the backstory about history and what Ole was saying about the, the whole situation in the Mediterranean several hundred years ago, and you know, people traveling and fighting and winning and losing and grape varieties, the spread of grape varieties was absolutely linked to what was going on politically with, you know, as Ole said, the popes and the emperors, etc., etc., etc. So it really is worth thinking about that kind of thing is a little bit of a backstory to why X grape tastes as it does because trial and error it landed somewhere and it stuck absolutely thanks Ole you're, you're a superstar thank you Martin you are the superstar thanks I'm thanks, just, no, cut that I'm bit just a sideshow here <laughs> thanks Ole great stuff thank you brilliant follow Italian Wine Podcast on Facebook and Instagram 